a seat to hear the word this morning, and you can continue to catch up with your friends after the service. I like that we have a church that's excited to hang out with each other and talk to each other. It's good. Worship was good this morning. I needed that. I don't know about you guys, but I needed that. It was good. So usually I'll preach on a Sunday, and then almost immediately I start thinking about the next sermon I'm going to be preaching. Usually Sunday afternoon I'll spend some time praying and starting to figure out what I want to want to preach on the following week. Sometimes we'll be like in the middle of a series and I know where we're going and I know what I'm going to be preaching on and sometimes we're kind of between series, which is where we are today. We're between a series. We finished up a series a couple weeks ago and then we're going to be starting a series in a couple weeks. So we had kind of a a period of time in between and I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to be doing. And so I preached the last two Sundays about the vision of Family Life Church and I was planning to preach on that, to continue preaching on that this Sunday. But last Sunday afternoon as I was praying, I felt like God said he had a word for, a specific word he wanted me to share with with the congregation uh, this morning. And he said that there was people that were weary, people that were tired, people that were frustrated, people that were exhausted. And I heard the phrase, I feel like giving up. And I felt like the Lord said there was a number of people that were in that place. And then this week, a number of people reached out to me and let me know about where they were at in life and stuff that was going on in their life, and they were absolutely in that place where they felt like giving up. And I don't even think that those people that reached out to me are the only people that are in that place. So if you're ever wondering if I'm targeting a message at you specifically, if you feel like giving up, if you're at a place where you're worn out, where you're tired, you're frustrated, and you've just been feeling like, man, I just feel like I can't, I don't even know if I can do it anymore then this message most definitely is for you. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary in doing well, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. But not giving up is harder than it seems at times. Sometimes it's really hard not to give up. Today I actually want to look at the book of Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament. Maybe you haven't read the book of Jeremiah in in a while, or maybe you didn't even know that there was a book called Jeremiah in the Old Testament. But I want to look there today, and I want to read out of chapter 12. Um, But before I get there, sometimes you'll watch a TV show, and it'll say at the beginning, it'll say, previously on this TV show, this is what, and I give you a little recap. So I'm going to give you a little recap of what's going on in the book of Jeremiah leading up to chapter 12, okay? So Jeremiah is a prophet, meaning he's someone who has the privilege of speaking for God. And God actually gives him a very specific message to deliver, and his assignment is to minister to Israel. And that's where God's people lived, and these people who lived there were going to have the privilege of welcoming the Messiah. And so because of that, they were called to live a very different life than the people around them. They were to be what they called a peculiar people. They were to be different. They weren't to be the same as the people around them. So they were set aside for God's purposes. But they were plagued with idolatry. These people were making all kinds of other things, gods in their life, and making money their God, and their career their God, and sex their God, and all this other stuff they were making their God. And so Jeremiah was given the job by God to go and to call them out about this. And the children of Israel kept doing this. They kept making other things their God. And Jeremiah was to go and to warn them 
about the judgment that was going to come to them because they were doing that. Now, Jeremiah was actually given this purpose <clears throat> before he was even born. Before he was even born, God said, I knew you before you were born. Before you were even put together in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I set you apart for this purpose. He said, you're going to talk to kings, and you're going to be my mouthpiece, and you're going to go deliver this word about the judgment that's coming, warning people. Jeremiah, as a little kid, is kind of freaked out by this, and he's like, Really? Like, are you sure you got the right guy? Because I'm like a kid, and I don't know any kings, and I'm from this like really small town, and like, are you sure you've got the right guy? And God says, don't worry, it's not based on who you are, but it's the fact that I will go with you, and I will put my words in your mouth. And so Jeremiah's like, okay, as long as y'all go with me, and as long as y'all go give me the words, then I'll, I'll go and I'll do that. And that's a good encouragement for us, is that Sometimes God will speak to us about what we feel like he wants us to do, and we're like, look at him like, you got the wrong person, I'm pretty sure. And oftentimes God will remind us, it's not just about who you are, it's me who's going to be in you, and I promise I'll go with you. And if God ever tells you, I will go with you, let's make that the place that you're going to go, even if it looks scary as could be. If God's going to go with us, then that's the best place for us. And you might think with a, with a job like this, this huge message to get to a nation, that God would take Jeremiah to a place like Babylon or Jerusalem or to the, like the biggest city to, to declare this message, but God actually starts with him in his own podunk little hometown, with his own family, in his own house. This is another good reminder to us that when God wants us to do something big, he's always going to start with something small. He oftentimes will start right where we're at. If God wants us to do something amazing for him, he'll have us become a better spouse first or a better parent or a better student. So go ahead and get started right where you're at. Wherever you're at today, let God start to do what he wants to do in you now. Don't wait for the big thing that he promised, but get started right where you're at. So Jeremiah starts to go and he starts to preach and he starts to declare this message about judgment that's coming. And it's not going very well. Like, literally, no one is listening to him. Like, no one cares what he has to say. No one cares about this message. They're just totally disregarding him. Then it kind of gets worse, and his family gets so sick of listening to him give this message that his family hires an assassin to try and kill him because they're so sick of hearing him talk about this, and it's bringing shame on their family. So, like, this is not exactly going good for Jeremiah. Then, to make matters worse... There are these other preachers in town that are called false prophets, and they're declaring a completely different message, and everyone's excited about the message that they're preaching. Like, their churches are growing and blowing up, and Jeremiah's like, I had my family to tell this message to, and now they don't even want to hear it, and they want to kill me. So as you could ima imagine, Jeremiah is super discouraged. These other prophets are giving this message of peace, and safety. They're saying the temple is here, and because we stay close to the temple, surely God will not send his judgment to us. Because we have the outward persona of being religious, even though our hearts are far from God, he's not going to send judgment. And of course, people like that message. God's judgment isn't coming. This is a well-received message. And so these people are lining up to hear this message, and here Jeremiah is being rejected by everyone, has no one to share this message with, and now he finds himself of being in this place of being super discouraged, 
super weary, super frustrated. He doesn't understand what God is doing in his life. And he backs the truck of his life up to God and just unloads all of his weariness, all of his frustration, all of his anger, all of his not understanding what God's doing. He backs the truck of his life up and he just dumps it all at God's feet. And that's going to be a really good place for those of you to start this morning if you're weary. And we'll make room for that at the end of the service. If you find yourself in the place where you're weary and exhausted and frustrated and don't understand what God's doing, you might just need to back the truck of your life up to the altar. If you just hear like beeping at the end of the service, like beep, 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 we got trucks that are back, backing up. Because some of you have been carrying some stuff that's been heavy for way too long. And the weight of it is just crushing you. And God's saying, would you come like Jeremiah did and would you unload all the weariness, the heaviness that you've been carrying? All right, so that brings us up to chapter 12. I want to read to you the first five verses in chapter 12. This is Jeremiah speaking at the beginning and then God speaking at the end. Jeremiah says, You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You know me, and you test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will this land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and the birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. If you're reading in the NIV Bible, right there in bold, it says, God's answer. Here's God's answer in verse 5. It says, you have raced with men of foot and they have worn you out. How can you compete with horses? Would you bow your heads? Lord, we thank you, first of all, that you see us, those of us who are weary, those of us who are tired, worn out, confused, like Jeremiah was. You see where we're at. And Lord, right now we position our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. And we just invite you to come and do a work in this place this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So in this portion of scripture that I read to you, Jeremiah has six plights. He has six positions, six arguments, six things that he brings for the Lord. And as I go through these six things, it's going to take a while because there are six of them. As I go through these things, I want you to find yourself in the story. I want you to find yourself in these six things that Jeremiah has to say. You might find yourself in all six. I find myself in all six for sure. It won't be hard because Jeremiah is just a human and he's very human and honest in what he's experiencing here. So just find yourself in the story, and then when we see how God responds to Jeremiah, the answer will apply that same answer to your life after you find yourself in the story. So the first thing that Jeremiah says, the first plight that he has is, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing. It's in verse 1. He says, you are always righteous, Lord, <clears throat> when I bring my case before you. Yet I would speak to you about your justice. That's kind of a funny way to say it. Yet I would speak to you. You're always just, you're always just. 
but I'd like to speak to you about your so-called justice, God. He's saying, I don't like the way you're Godding. I don't think you're making good decisions. I don't think you know what you're doing. Like, this is not fair. Life is not working. It does not feel fair to me. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing, and I don't like what you're not doing. There's some stuff I'd like you to do, and you're not doing that. Some stuff I'd like you to stop doing, and you won't stop doing it. I don't like what you're doing. How many of you have felt like that at one time or another? Like, God, I don't like what you're doing. Why do you allow these things in my life, and why don't you fix these things in my life? Like, why is life so hard? Why does life have to be so difficult? This doesn't seem fair. Why are you doing what you're doing? Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, but here I think he's more like the whining prophet. And I, and I don't say that in judgment. I can say it because I can see it so blazingly obvious in my own life. Like I listen to Jeremiah whining like a little baby and I'm like, was he in my house last night? Because that's exactly what I'm doing is whining to my wife about the stuff that God's doing and why he won't listen and why is God doing what he's doing. Jeremiah is whining, he's frustrated, but I actually think he starts off in a really good place. Like I'm kind of giving him a hard time. The truth is I think Jeremiah starts off in a really good place. And the place that he starts off in is he's really, really honest with God. He's not faking the funk. He's not putting on a religious spirit. He's not acting like he has it all together. And he starts off even respectful before he like opens a can on God. Like he starts off respectful. He's like, you're a great God. I'm about to rip you apart, but you're a good God, and I know you're good, but I'm about to let loose on you. And he's so honest with him. He's not holding any punches. He's about to tell God what's what, and then God's going to tell him what's what. But first, he's going get, to get in some words with God and tell him how he's feeling. He's struggling. I don't think I can do this anymore. Why did you pick me? Maybe you should have picked someone else before they were knit together in their mother's womb. Like, I don't like your plan. Like, it seemed good in the beginning. You had a plan for my life. You were going to use me. But I didn't know it was going to look like this. I didn't know it was going to be so hard and so difficult. How many can relate to saying yes to God and having no idea how hard life was going to be? Then Jeremiah goes on. He says, why do the wicked prosper? This is in the second half of verse 1. He says, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? And why do all the faithless live at ease? He's saying this isn't fair. They shouldn't be succeeding, and I should be succeeding. But I'm failing, and they're succeeding. Like, why? This doesn't make sense. Why would those people prosper in their life when they're not obeying you? And I'm not prospering when I am obeying you. It's like you go out to see if your car's even going to start to get you to go to work in the morning. You look across the street at your neighbor that was out partying all night, and the dude's out there waxing his brand new truck. And you're like, why, God? Like, I have to come out here and try and figure out, is my car even going to start? But my neighbor's got a brand new truck. Like, how is this fair? Like, why is the wicked prospering and I'm not prospering? You're at work talking to your friends, and they're talking about this amazing vacation they went on. And you know they're still recovering from all the drinking they were doing on vacation. You're like, God, like I tithe, and I'm a giver, and I could never afford to go on a vacation like that. Like, Why did they get to have these amazing experiences, and why does life feel so hard for me? You look at your friend that's not walking with the Lord, 
and you look at their marriage, and it seems like it's going smoothly, and it's going well, and they seem so happy, and your marriage just feels so hard, and it feels like it's such work, and you don't even know if it's worth it, and you're putting in this effort just hoping it's going to be worth it, but inside you're feeling like, I don't even know if this is going to pay off in the end. Why is life so hard? And then in verse 2, Jeremiah takes it a step further. He says, you have planted them, and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their heart. So Jeremiah starts out by saying, like, this is a strange coincidence that they have life that's so easy, and I have life that's so hard. And now he's taking a step further. Now he's getting angry, and he's pointing his finger at God, and he's saying, it's not a coincidence. It's you. You do it. You're causing their life to prosper, and you're causing my life to be hard. How could their crops grow if your sun doesn't shine on it? How could their crops grow if you don't rain your rain down on it, and my crops aren't prospering? It's not just a strange coincidence. You're doing this. You're making them prosper, and you're letting me not prosper. Jeremiah is getting a little bit angry and he's a little bit frustrated with what God's doing in his life. Then he goes on. His case is not done yet. We're only at point three. We've got to get to six. He says, I live uprightly. Why am I not seeing the blessing? Here Jeremiah is saying, this is who I am. I've been faithful to you. This is in verse three. He says, yet you know me, Lord. You see me and you test my thoughts about you. He says, you know I've been faithful you know I've been doing my best to walk uprightly before you. Like, you know it's been hard, and I haven't bailed. I haven't quit. I've been trying to grow. I've been trying to change. Like, I'm giving it everything I've got, and I still don't see your blessing in my life. There's a couple things here that Jeremiah was missing specifically. In this point, Jeremiah was getting confused about the opposition in his life. He was viewing the opposition in his life as a sign that God wasn't with him, when in reality, the opposition in his life was actually a sign that he was headed where God was taking him. He was going where God was taking him, and the enemy is throwing everything he possibly can at him to try and stop him from getting where God is taking him. The more stuff that's coming at him should actually be a sign that he's getting closer to his destiny, closer to the thing that God has called him to. So the enemy is pulling out all the stops trying to take him out. When I was at Elam, uh, one of my deans was speaking at a conference, and he asked me if I would go and I would lead worship with him. And I said, sure. So I went to the conference with him, and I was going to lead worship, and they were going to provide the band, and I was just going to lead the band. So we left, and everything that could go wrong on this trip went wrong. We got to the Rochester airport. Our flight got delayed. When our flight got delayed, it meant we were going to miss our connecting flight. So finally, they get us on a flight. We get uh, to the airport, and we have to run through the airport full sprint to get to our next connecting flight. And all along the way, this guy that I was with, he, he was just like, he had like a little chuckle about him. He's like, this is going to be a good weekend. It's going to be really good. Like, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. The enemy thought making our flight delayed was going to trip me up. I'm just getting started, dude. Like, you don't even know who you're messing with. Like, I'm about to bring the heat twice as hard as I was going to bring it. Like, these kids are going to get saved. I'm telling you, they're going to meet with God. We get on our second flight. 
We get off at our destination, our baggage isn't there. He looks at me and he smiles and he says, our bags aren't here. This is great. (laughs) The enemy thought this was going to work with me. Like he thought I was a rookie. Like I've seen his stuff before. Like this is not a big deal. I can deal with not having clothes. I don't need clothes. I got clothes on my back. I'm fine. Like who does he think he's messing with? We get to the rental car desk. We go to rent our car and uh, we pull out our confirmation number and they have no nothing. You don't have a rental car here. It's like, we have a confirmation. We have emails with you. Like, nope, you don't have a car. So we got to pay more money for a car. It's like, okay. He just laughs again. This is going to be good. These kids are about to get free in a new way this weekend. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. We get halfway to the venue. We get a flat tire. I'm like, this is a joke at this point. Like, this, we're not even going to make it here. Like, this is ridiculous. He's like, no, no, no. This is good. This means we're getting where God wants us to go. And the harder it gets, the worse it gets, it means we're actually getting closer to what God is about to do in these kids' lives. By the time we got to the conference, the conference started at 7. We get to the venue at 7.05. I walk out there. They hand me a guitar. I walk out on stage. Never played with these people before. Never practiced any of these songs. And we just jumped into worship late and started. And it, was, it ended up being an awesome awesome conference, but more than an awesome conference, it taught me that opposition in my life doesn't mean that God's not with me. Opposition doesn't mean that God's not for me. It actually is an indication that I'm heading where God wants me to go, and the enemy is going to do whatever he can to stop me and to slow me down. Let's see, that was three, right? So next we got Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is starting to kind of lose it here. He's coming unhinged. And he says, let the wicked get what they deserve. And he did it with style. I mean, listen to what he says here. He says, drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. Jeremiah is literally praying, asking God to murder people. Like, Jeremiah, like, you got to chill out, bro. Like, God is not going to murder these people for you. He loves these people. Like, you know this, Jeremiah. Come on. And like, I know you guys are more spiritual than Jeremiah, the prophet in the Bible. Like, you would never pray and ask God to murder people, but like, if he knocked a couple of them off, you, thank you, Lord. This is, you know, just a couple of them, not like a a lot of them, but there's a couple you'd be like, I thank God. I mean, Jeremiah's literally asking God to murder people. So it's not, not Jeremiah's best day here, a little too honest, maybe. But what Jeremiah was missing out on was Jeremiah was operating under a scarcity mentality. Scarcity mentality. He saw God's blessing on the life of these people who were living ungodly lifestyles. He saw their blessing on them, and he went, there's only so much of God's blessing to go around, so if God's going to bless the wicked, then there's not going to be enough blessing left around for good old me. Like, here I am living uprightly, and you're giving all the blessing away to these people that don't deserve it. So there's not going to be enough left for me. He thought there was only so much blessing that God had. And what he forgot was that God has infinite blessing available for all. And if God in his mercy decides to bless the wicked as a way to try and bring them to him, God can handle that. There's plenty of blessing to go around. God is not running short on blessing to give to you. An abundance mindset would say, you know what, I know I can trust God, and if he's over there blessing the wicked like that, I can't wait to see the blessing that God's about to unfold on my life. Because if he'll he'll bless people who aren't even walking for him like that, then surely he's going to bless someone that's walking uprightly. If God is blessing those people in the hood over there, 
All that means is God is in the neighborhood, and I know I can trust that he's about to unleash blessing in my life. And then the fifth thing that he says is, how long will this suffering last? This is in verse 4. He says, how long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and the birds have perished. One of the hardest things about walking with God is not understanding his timing. So many times we know where we think God wants to take us. He speaks us a word of promise over our life, and we're like, that's awesome, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do this. But we don't know how he's going to get us there, and we don't know how long it's going to take. And if I just knew how long I was going to have to wait to see the promise of God in my life, I could curb my expectations. If I knew I was in a 20-year wait for it, I wouldn't be expecting it this weekend, and I could curb my expectations, and I could plan accordingly, but God oftentimes doesn't tell us his timing. He doesn't want us to curb our expectations. He wants us to live expectantly, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, year by year, decade by decade, just trusting him waiting on him, saying, God, I put my hope and my trust in you. I don't know when the answer is going to come. I don't know when the situation is going to change. I don't know when you're going to do what you promised, but I know you will. And I put my hope and trust in you, and I can wait for you. Some of you have promises that you've held on to from the Lord, things that God has spoken to you that you know you heard from him. And now in this season of your life, when you've been waiting for a long time, when you haven't seen God do the thing that he said he would do, you're starting to wonder, am I ever even going to see this thing in my life? Like, God, you promised this, and I didn't expect it to be this hard. I didn't expect the fight to be this intense. But are you ever even going to do the thing that you promised you were going to do? How long will I have to wait, is what Jeremiah is asking. And how many of you can see yourself asking God that question. How long am I going to have to wait to see you do this thing that you promised? And then in Jeremiah's last plate, it says, people think you don't care. This is in the second half of verse 4. He says, moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. So here Jeremiah doesn't think that God is hearing what he has to say. So he has to get like more clout and bring more weight to what he's saying. And he's like, okay, it's not just me who's wondering, are you going to come through and do what you said you're going to do? All these people are starting to wonder, like, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? It's kind of like when you go and tell one of your siblings to do something that your mom told you to go tell them to do, and they don't listen. They're like, who are you? I'm not going to listen to you. And you say to them, mom said, go do this, because that carries a lot more weight to it. Here, Jeremiah is trying to add weight to what he's saying, saying, It's not just me who's struggling, wondering, are you ever going to come through? Now all these people are starting to wonder, are you going to come through? So here's Jeremiah's six plights. I don't like what you're doing. Why do the wicked prosper? I live uprightly. Why am I not seeing the blessing? Let the wicked get what they deserve. How long will my suffering last? And people don't think you care. And then God answers. Everyone say, God answers. And I hope that you can see yourself in that story of Jeremiah, where he's at. And I, I can see myself in every one of those things at, at one time or another, or one way or another. And God answers in verse 5, and this is what he says. He says, if you have raced with men on foot 
and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? What in the world is he talking about? I don't think this is what Jeremiah expected. And to be honest with you, it's not what I expected when God spoke to me and said that he had a word for those people that were weary. See, Jeremiah, in the beginning of his life, when he was struggling, he went to God and he said, like, I'm too young, I'm from a town in the middle of nowhere, like, I'm not the man for the job, and God comforted him. God comforted him, and he said, Jeremiah, you don't have to go alone. I'm going to go with you. You don't have to come up with the words to say, I'm going to put the words in your, in your mouth. And there are times where God has to come to us and bring us comfort to get us where he wants us to go, to get us to say yes to him. But there's other times where he comes and he brings a challenge. And that's actually what he did here with Jeremiah. And what I believe he wants to do with us here this morning is he didn't actually come just to bring comfort. He came to bring a challenge. So let's start with these footmen. Like what in the world is God talking about? These men on foot or the King James calls them footmen. So when there were wars that would happen, and nations would fight against nations, the first thing that nations would do is they would send in what they called footmen. They would send in the footmen. Sometimes, depending on the size of the battle, they might send in thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of footmen. These footmen weren't the most skilled warriors. They certainly didn't have the best weapons. Some of them didn't even have any weapons. They weren't the biggest they weren't the strongest. They weren't the most skilled. There was just so many of them. It wasn't abnormal to send in 10,000 footmen. And no general would ever expect the footmen to win the battle. They weren't even set in to win the battle. There was no expectation of them winning the battle. They were sent in to thin out the opponent. They were sent in to wear them down. No one footman was ever going to kill you. If a footman was going to take you out, it was going to be a death by a thousand cuts. It was just one after another, after another, after another, and eventually they just wore you down. God says to Jeremiah, the thing that you're fighting, the problems that have brought you to this place of weariness, this place of wanting to give up, they're footman problems. The problem you're, problems you're up against and you're facing are footmen problems. It's one situation after another, one bill after another, one problem after another. It's not so much that any one of these footmen could have taken Jeremiah out on its own. It was just one thing after another. You finish paying one bill and you turn around and there's another, there's two bills waiting for you. You could barely get through the one, and now there's two more waiting for you. You get through one challenge with your, your child, and you think like, okay, finally I can take a deep breath. And you look over the horizon, and there's another problem coming over with that kid. You get, just finally get through dealing with this one fight in your marriage. It's been like two weeks of silence between the two of you. Like You just finally get through this one fight, and there's another thing coming you guys are about to disagree over. One thing after another is wearing Jeremiah down. And God looks at the problems that Jeremiah is facing, and he says, these are footmen problems. 
And God's looking at you this morning and the things that you're facing, the things that have worn you down, that brought you to the place that you're ready to give up, just like Jeremiah was. And he says, I see footmen, problems in your life. People gossiping about you, footmen problem. Feeling misunderstood, footmen problem. Sometimes feeling up, sometimes feeling down, footmen problem. Being rejected, footmen problem. Feeling discouraged, footmen problem. Dealing with fear, footmen problem. Not enough money to pay the bills, footmen problem. Your wife not giving you any love. Now that's a horse problem right there, if you ask me. (laughs) God says, no, that's a footman problem, John. Your husband won't talk to you enough. Footman problem. Your wife talks too much. Footman problem. Your children are making bad decisions. Footman problem. You're struggling in school. Footman problem. Grown children moving back in. That's an annoying footman problem. Being disrespected. Footman problem can't agree on important things with important people in your life. Footman problem. Can't find a job. Footman problem. Don't like your current job. Footman problem. Can't get the money you think you deserve. Footman problem. Can't finance your dream. These are footman problems. And you probably got your own list. And God's looking at those things this morning and he's saying those are footman problems. Now the thing is, and just go ahead and set down your stones ahead of time before you start trying to kill me, is you actually need to learn to thank God for the footmen in your life. you got to learn to celebrate the footmen in your life. Don't let the footmen wear you out. Some of you are complaining about the footmen instead of realizing that the footmen are actually allowed by God for a very specific purpose. And some of you, these, these footmen that you've been up against, they've actually done a lot of good in your life. And you can almost never see it when you're in the middle of it. Some of you, you're up against footmen right now, and you're like, man, I don't even know if I can go forward. But what you're missing is the footmen are actually giving you what you need for the place that God has taken you. The footmen in your life are building in you the foundation that you need for the place that God is taking you. Your footmen are teaching you lessons that you desperately need. They're sharpening your sword. They're giving you new skills to deal with the things that you're going to need to deal with in the place that God is about to take you. So you're despising the school that God is using to teach you what he wants to teach you so he can get you where, you, where he wants you to go. You actually need to learn to celebrate the footmen. And you need to learn to celebrate the footmen because the horses are coming. And again, I'm going to ask you to put down your rocks. you got to celebrate your footmen because the horses are coming. And some of you, when you hear that, you're thinking to yourself, these footmen are hard. Like I was crying in the beginning when you asked about the people that are weary. And now you're saying those are just little footmen problems and the horses are coming? Like, If these footmen almost took me out, how am I supposed to feel encouraged about the horses that are coming? I'm glad you asked. Now, I didn't expect you to be excited about the horses coming. I didn't expect you to be excited about the fact that I'm telling you it's going to get worse. It's going to get harder. Why would you be excited about horses when the footmen are killing you? The reason you should celebrate is because what you're going through now 
is preparing you for what God is going to do in your life next. The present trial you're facing is actually nourishing you and strengthening you and giving you everything you need for the place that God is taking you next. You guys remember this guy named Joseph? I don't know if you heard of him. He had this colorful coat. He's a friend of mine. So Joseph, God speaks to him and tells him about these big plans he has for his life. And then Joseph goes through hell for a long time before he gets to the place where God promised him he would be. Joseph had to go through the pit before he got to the palace. He had to be misunderstood. He had to be mistreated. He had to be lied about. He had to have stuff stolen from him. He had to be left for dead. Joseph went through all this pit to get to the palace. And the stuff that Joseph learned in the pit was what gave him what he needed to succeed in the palace. If God would have taken Joseph straight to the palace, he would have failed. It would have been a flop. But what he learned in the pit actually gave him what he needed so he could succeed and thrive in the palace. The footmen in your life in the pit where you're at right now are actually giving you the nourishment to build the muscle and the strength that you need, the skills that you need, so you can succeed where God is taking you. You guys remember Daniel. God had a plan for Daniel's life. Daniel was a man of integrity. Like he walked uprightly before the Lord. And then he got thrown in the lion's den. Like literally he got thrown in a pit with hungry lions. How is this a good place, God? Like I thought you had a plan for my life. I thought you were going to do something with me. And now you threw me in a pit with hungry lions. Like, I don't understand how this fits into what you're supposedly doing in my life, but there's a lion here and I'm not real excited about it. Like, what are you going to do? When Daniel came out of the pit, when he came out of that pit with the lions, he was not the same person. He wasn't the same man. You think, God, you think Daniel came out of the pit and trusted God? You think he came out of the pit and had a new faith? He just faced a hungry lion, and in that place, God showed up. God could tell him to do anything next. And he says, as impossible as that sounds, I believe you, and I'm going to go do it for you because you showed up in the pit, in my trial, when my footmen were there, and you gave me what I needed. It was the building blocks of my faith where you taught me what I needed so I could succeed in the place that you wanted me to go. You guys remember those three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Tebed we go. To bed we go is my favorite. He likes Sunday naps. And I, I could go for a Sunday nap. I won't get one, but I could use one. These guys get tied up. They refuse to bow. Culture was telling them to bow to another god. Culture was telling them their god was worthless, but there was something else to bow to. Anybody in this room who's not going to bow to what culture is telling you? Culture is telling us to bow to a whole bunch of stuff right now. I don't know about you, but I'm like one of those Hebrew boys. I'm not going to bow in the face of our culture. And there they are saying, we're not going to bow. And they say, fire up the furnace seven times hotter, and they throw them in the furnace. That kind of seems like a big deal. That kind of seems like a real big challenge to getting where God said he was going to go when this guy's going to murder me and throw me in the furnace. And I know that some of you feel right now like the things that you're up against. You heard me call them footmen, and you're like, they don't feel like footmen. Like, it feels like a pretty big deal what I'm up against right now. Like, it doesn't feel like a little deal. Well, this furnace felt like a real big deal. It felt just a little bit hot when they're watching the guys that are throwing them in get burned up. 
Like this is, this is a big deal. My life is about to be over. But what happened when they got in that fire was God showed up. God showed up. And when he showed up, they changed. Their life changed. What God taught them in the furnace became a crucial lesson that they learned in their life. For the rest of their life, they pointed back at what happened in the furnace. When they struggle, they point back at what happened in the furnace. When they come up against a new challenge that's bigger than them, they're going to point back at the lion's den. They're going to point back at what happened in the furnace. And they said, if God brought me through that, surely he'll bring me through this too. Some of the things that you guys are up right now, up against right now, you're going to walk through these things, and you're going to come out the other side. I promise you, you will come out the other side. I'll say that again. You will come out the other side. You will get to the other side. You will look back, and you'll say, man, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. I wouldn't wish that on the person in the world that I hate the worst. But man, I'm so glad I walked through it. It's like it doesn't even make any sense. You're going to go like, what did I just say? Like, I, want, I, I laid in the furnace and I said I'd rather die now. You're going to look back on the stuff you're walking through right now and you're going to say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. The best thing I ever walked through because I came out the other side with a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. I came out the other side with a faith that's twice as big as what I went into the furnace with. The footmen that you're up against right now, they are giving you what you need for where God's taking you. David said, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. The footmen that I'm up against, they're literally feeding me. I'm feasting on their bull crap that used to take me out. I'm laughing at it because it's not anything. It's not going to take me out, and God's going to use it to do something in me for where he wants me to go. Some of you need to look at the thing you're facing right now and say, I'm going to laugh at you on the other side of this thing. That would be a good place to say amen. Even if you feel like you can't see it. Say it again. I'm going to look back and laugh at this thing that feels like it's going to kill me now. Move on, move on, move on. All right, so I want to talk to you about horses. I talked to you about footmen. Now it's time to talk about the horses because the horses are coming. Everyone say the horses are coming. Not the British. The horses are coming. All right, horses are strong, in case you weren't aware. They're very strong. They're incredibly fast. They have so much endurance, it's hard to even wrap our mind around. The average horse walks 22 miles a day. It's not uncommon for horses to, to go over 50 miles a day, and some horses are capable of going over 100 miles a day. A horse can full sprint for literally miles, and I don't mean run or trot, full all-out sprint for miles. They can run when it's hot. They can run when it's cold. They can run in the desert in sand when there's no water. And they can run when there's three feet of snow in western New York. And horses rest while they're standing. What God is saying here is that he is going to give you the ability to be stronger than a horse, faster than a horse, to have more endurance than a horse. And he's going to give you the ability to run in the heat and the cold, whatever life brings. He's going to give you the ability to rest while you stand firm in your calling. 
when right now you feel like you're fighting with everything you've got to stand firm in your calling to be who God's calling you to be. The place that God's taking you, he says you're going to just stand and rest in that place. How in the world could I ever contend with a horse? Like in the natural, I never could contend with a horse. I'm not strong enough. I can't walk far enough. I'm not fast enough. I don't have enough endurance. I can't deal with the cold and the hot like a horse can. I can't rest when I'm standing. I sit or I lay down. What this scripture implies is that God has the expectation that you would be able to contend with a horse. And yes, I just said it's impossible. It's impossible, but God is saying he expects you to be able to contend with a horse. That means that where God wants to take you, what's going to be required from your life is going to be the supernatural. The place that God wants to take you, what he wants to do with your life, it can't be done in the natural. It's impossible. I can't compete with a horse. I can't contend with a horse. But God's expectation is that I do, which means that God expects the supernatural to flow out of my life. And the footmen that have been trying to take me out, that have left me weary and run down, are literally preparing me for the place that God is taking me where the supernatural will flow out of my life. We have been believing God for things that are way too small. Believing God to help us with these horsemen, just help us get through, or the footmen, I'm sorry, help us with these footmen, help us to get through, help me to deal with these struggles. And God's like, not only am I going to do that, but these guys are actually giving you what you need for the place that I'm taking you, and I am expecting the supernatural to flow out of your life. You weren't created for natural. You were created for supernatural. Here he tells, tells Jeremiah, I expect you to be able to, to contend with the horses. You're wrestling with these little footmen, but I expect you to be able to contend with the horses. That means God expects the supernatural to come out of you. And I'll tell you the rest of the story with Jeremiah is he stops fighting with these little footmen. He stops letting them tear him apart. He sets aside his weariness. He sets aside his frustrations. He starts to actually appreciate what they're doing in his life because he knows that when these things are coming up against him, it's a sign he's moving in the right direction. When these things come up against him, they're giving him something valuable he needs for the next assignment that God has for him. And in that next assignment, the only way it's going to happen is if the supernatural begins to flow out of your life. Some of you are in a place where you're just so consumed with the footman that you're up against that the thought of the supernatural is like, just doesn't even seem possible. But God wants to plant that as a seed in your heart this morning to let you know, not only can I deal with these footmen, I can take care of them easy, but I'm actually leaving them in your life because they're giving you what you need for the place that I'm taking you, for the thing that I am calling you to that is so much bigger than you. You could never do it on your own. But don't worry, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to end this morning, and uh, I'm going to open up the altars, and I'm going to invite our ministry team to come. And like I said in the beginning, some of you, one of the best places you could start is backing the truck up of your life to the altar and just dumping out 
your weariness. Some of you need to come to the altar and you need to just let it all out. You need to come and you need to tell God everything you're frustrated with, the stuff that's exhausting you, how you feel like you can't go on, how you feel like giving, giving up. You just want to throw in the towel and be done. Some of you might even need to use some words that aren't the best words when you're talking to God. Just let it out and be honest with him. He's not so worried about that. Be honest with God about where you're at. And I believe that as we're honest with God about where we're at and we let loose with the stuff that we've been carrying, the weight that we've been carrying, what we're going to find out is that we're going to begin to look at the footman in our life from a completely different perspective like Jeremiah did. The stuff that you're walking through right now might actually be exactly what you need for where God's taking you. Your marriage being in the place that it is right now where you're struggling so much that you're like, I don't even know if, this is, if we're going to make it. Not only are you going to make it, but the place that God wants to take you is a place where you're actually helping people with their marriages. God's vision is so much bigger. It is so far beyond the natural. Your finances are a disaster right now and you've got bills you don't even know how to pay. God wants you to literally coach people in their finances. And I know it sounds impossible, but the footmen in your life that are attacking you are actually giving you what you need so that you can get where God's taking you to be. Lord, I just lift everyone up to you right now. And Lord, some people are going to come to the altar and they're just going to dump what they have what they've been feeling, the stuff that they've been carrying. And Lord, I ask that as they do that, their perspective would change. They would begin to see these footmen differently like Jeremiah did. They would realize the stuff that they're up against right now, it's there to teach them. They're literally in school, learning, getting what they need. And Lord, I ask that there would be an arrogant laugh that would rise up in the heart of those people that are weary. An arrogant laugh in the face of the enemy who's trying to trip us up and take us out at how big and powerful God is. Maybe you've made a mess and a disaster of your life right now, but God is so big and he's so powerful that not only can he take your mess and fix you, he can use you. There's something super natural that he has for you. Lord, I ask that as we come before you this morning, that there would be a renewed strength, a renewed hope. I pray for those people that are in a place right now where they feel hopeless. And I ask that as they come forward and begin to unload what they're feeling, that hope would literally flood them, that hope would overtake them. So much hope, they didn't even know what to do with it. It doesn't even make any sense how I could have hope in the midst of what feels like a dead place. God, would you come and meet with us? And breathe hope into us like you did into Jeremiah and challenge us to see that there's purpose in our pain today. It's not wasted. It's not for nothing. You're actually doing something powerful in us for the place that you want to take us where the supernatural will flow out of us. In your name I pray, amen. We're going to have a ministry team here this morning. You can just come respond. If you want to just come sit before the Lord, you can do that. If you want to come and ask someone to pray for you, you can do that, and I just ask you to take your conversations out of the sanctuary this morning and bless you and have an awesome week.